everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Books Are Chic. I took last week off um, for my kids' vacation, so I'm excited to be back this week. And I'm super excited, as you all know, I love to have a new guest that I haven't been able to chat with yet. Um, and I have received so many of her books over the years, and we are here to talk about her latest thriller, Bright and Deadly Things. I am so excited to welcome Lexi Elliott. Welcome, Lexi. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) You're coming live from London, which is exciting. (laughs) Yes, I am. This is where I live now, although I grew up in Scotland. That's really, I mean, that's one of my bucket list places. London was a bucket bucket list place, and I was fortunate enough to go right before COVID, and I was like, I'm moving here. I never wanted to leave. (laughs) Now Scotland's on my list, so... Do you have a preference? Oh, you must go. It's it. Well, I mean, Scotland is utterly, utterly beautiful. Um, yeah. and and it's a very particular sort of beauty. And I grew up at the foot of the Highlands, and it was just a perfect place for me. Um, I'm not sure. I look, my husband's job keeps us in London, so I suppose I don't really ever even consider the option of living in Scotland because it's just not there. <laughs> yeah, but you are you you appreciate it as you're you know growing up there and. I'm sure it was so beautiful and sure and I visit quite a lot because my dad and my sister and uh, my little niece and nephew are are up there so we go up quite a bit so yeah I I managed to get my Scottish fix every once in a while yes I love that okay so tell us about just sort of how you got writing what your start was um and just give us the lay of the land of of Lexi Elliott's writing journey Sure. Well, I always wanted to write, like always, always, always from, you know, five, six, seven, that kind of age. Um, and I always scribbled away on little things. But uh, I I suppose when it came to choosing a, um, a, a university degree, I thought that really I ought to do something that was more likely to result in a job that paid the bills. Yeah. So I did physics at Oxford Uni and then I stayed for a PhD so I was at Oxford for seven years actually um and that was great and then I went into banking um which doesn't leave a lot of spare time really for for writing at all Uh, although I was trying to in whatever spare time I had um and then I got married and you know kids um and I was still still harboring the dream of writing one day but what actually happened was um excuse me during the um global financial crisis, I lost my job as many people did in the financial industry. And um, I kept my nanny on for, for a good long while because I was hoping to get another job, and which which I did eventually. And I used that time to write. I'd, I'd had a little bit of success in short story competitions and I thought maybe this is my opportunity to actually have a crack at a novel. Um, so I did, I, I wrote a novel and it took me so long because I had very young children. Um, and then I got my agent and ultimately, you know, the French girl was published in 2018. Yes. I, that, I, that was one, that was the book I received by you. I was so excited. Um, wait, I going back, how, what was the, cho- like, you always wanted to be a writer of physics. Did you enjoy <laughs> That's like something that's so I feel like specific and like you must be so super smart. Um, but why is it? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and go, yes, I'm super smart. I'm, I'm completely the I'm same as everyone else. <laughs> okay. Um, well, 
academically, maths and physics kind of work with my brain quite well. Mm-hmm. And I, I suppose I could have done maths at university and I did toss it up, but maths becomes very dry when you go into kind of a university degree on it. Whereas physics, there's still some way in which it's a bit more tangible and you can relate it to the real world as opposed to moving very much into the abstract on maths. Um, so, so yeah, physics, it was something I was, I was good at, you know, it's something that I enjoyed. I've always enjoyed those kind of mind puzzles and I, I love all sorts of puzzles, whether they're word puzzles or number puzzles, you know, I'm an avid um, filler out of the, uh, of the cryptic crossword. I will also do Sudoku. So, you know, all those kind of puzzles work for me. And in essence, I think, you know, putting together a a really good psychological thriller is a bit like constructing a puzzle. You know, you've got to make sure that all the clues are there, but you've got to dot your I's and cross your T's and make it hang together. You have to hold this universe that you've created within your head in the same way that when you're doing academic research, you need to hold the problem and all its different facets within your head at the same time. So I think there is an unexpected amount of crossover or maybe I'm just looking for the crossover. No, I was actually- And that's why I say it's there. Yeah, no, I was going to say that before you even said that. I'm like, well, actually, then that all actually makes sense because- I agree. I think, you know, as a, I can't imagine as an author, but as a reader, we are taking all of these pieces that you've written out for us and trying to put it together. So I feel like that's sort of the perfect segue for you. You're still tapping into that part of your brain, but now in a more like creative, you know, way. Um, How did you fall into the thriller category? Is that something you've always loved? Like who are your growing up? Was that what you read? It was. I mean, I read very widely Um, in my teenage years, which I suppose is when I was reading the most voraciously. I was reading a lot of um, thriller, mystery, a lot of science fiction and fantasy. Um, I guess I was reading Agatha Christie, Dick Francis, all the different, you know, a lot lot of Stephen King in there as well. Um, uh, Sherry S. Tepper, who's my the author of my absolute favorite book ever, which is Grass. Um, and then, you know, a, a lot of Margaret Atwood, who really was um, quite special to me. So it, it was a big, wide range. And I wouldn't say that I set out to to produce a psychological thriller novel. I just I wrote a novel. And then and I think this is the same for most debut authors. You write a book and then the publishing house says, oh, we're going to put that into this category. So that will be a psychological thriller. And please, could you provide some more of those? And, yeah. you know, and you go, oh, OK, that's the route that I'm on now. And it's not it's not necessarily what you intended, but OK, fine. And actually, I really love that kind of mystery genre because I think the I think the mystery thriller type aspect gives you a a structure, a sort of scaffolding for the book that you can then build on with the other things that you're interested in, whether it's, you know, group dynamics or, you know, um, uh, family dynamics or whatever it might be that you're really looking to to investigate in the novel as well. Um, But the the structure of the thriller, it keeps it moving forward at pace and makes sure that, you know, that this is a, a really enjoyable ride for your reader, that it moves along as well as hopefully, you know, being meaningful. Yeah, I I agree. Um, when you wrote The French Girl, 
what was that process like? Like you had said that you were always trying to write and you really wanted to be a writer and write a book, but what was that first book, The French Girl? How did you sort of just attack that process? And I don't, I'm sure you've evolved over every book to sort of how you approach things, but what was that first one like? Yeah, it was a bit stop start because I had very young kids. So, you know, I'd get through a certain amount of it and then, you know, lose momentum maybe and have my agent saying how's it coming along <laughs> and you're yeah. like, oh god right yes better get back to it um so it was very very stopped out um quite haphazard and it took a really long time like a scarily long time um but you know that was my life at the time that was all I could manage and as I say I did get another job so three days a week I was in the office and then I had small children and you know that's you can only do what you can do really um and I I hadn't done a detailed outline um but I I had the story pretty firmly in my head for for subsequent novels I have always produced a detailed outline partly because my publishing house has wanted one but I've come to the conclusion that it's a really good thing to do um and often my my idea for a novel when I'm kind of looking at, oh, what will I write next? You know, some they they come to me initially. Um, I come up with whatever it might be, and I I write a like a blurb, like you might see on the back of a book. Um, but that isn't really enough to tell you if there's enough there to hold together a whole book and really be worth making a whole book out of. And I think when you do the outline, you figure out whether you need to, you know put more into it and and really um, beef it up or maybe it just isn't a good enough idea and you need to go back to the drawing board. Where do you sort, like for the French girl, and, and we'll definitely talk about this for Bright and Deadly Things, but how do you, like, where do you source ideas from? What is sort of, what do you tap into for that? I don't really have a problem coming up with ideas. You know, <laughs> it's just, you know, deciding what one that I really want to pursue the French girl, actually, that idea had been in my head for a very long time because it came to me when I was um, on vacation during my doctorate with a, a group of university friends. And we were staying in a farmhouse in, in France, which, in fact, is, you know, very similar to the premise for the French girl. They're, they're staying in a farmhouse in France. Um, and uh, and I, I just remember kind of lying beside the pool and it all and spooling in my head. So it was very much driven by the setting I was in. And I find that is very instrumental for all of my novels. So that the missing years was driven by the setting that I grew up in. And I was up in Scotland thinking about, oh gosh, I've got a two book contract now. What's the second book going to be? And went for a run along a, a, a route that I often take. And there's a house there that's always fascinated me. And then I started thinking about that house and then I had the missing years. Um, and How to Kill Your Best Friend, I was um, on an island in Southeast Asia when the title occurred to me. And I thought, huh, that's kind of interesting. And then I, that's the only one where it's been titled first. And I had to kind of backtrack from there to find the setting and then the cast of characters. Um, and for this one, Bright and Deadly Things, I very much wanted to set a novel in the world of Oxford Academia, but I didn't want it to be, you know, just another campus thriller. There's quite, I mean, there's some excellent campus thrillers, don't get me wrong, but, you know, there are quite a few of them. And I wanted to do something just a little bit different, maybe a little bit more fresh. And 
I had been to the Chalet des Anglais, which features heavily in Bright and Deadly Things. It's actually a real place. I'd been there um, during my PhD and thought, oh, maybe I could use that as, you know, the place in which I'm going to put all this cast of characters and keep them locked up there and unable to escape, which is, you know, one of the things that's great about that kind of closed environment thriller that you you keep your characters together and you can really ratchet up the claustrophobia. Yeah, I was going to say place is a huge part of your books. Like the setting is just one of the absolute main characters. And obviously in Bright and Deadly Things, you have at the beginning a, a note about the chalet and how this is a real place. Um, what was it? And you, and you just mentioned that you, you've been there. What it, was it like there? What is it like there? Well, you know, I I hope it's exactly like you think it is after reading the book. <laughs> and actually, one of the trustees of the chalet just read it recently, and he said, "Yeah, I think you captured it well." So I, I felt really good about that. But uh, yeah, it's look, it's very rustic. There's no running water. There's no electricity. Um, everybody is kind of thrown in together from undergraduates through to very senior fellows, um, normally about kind of 15 or so in a in a reading party. And it's it's invitation only. So whoever's doing the invitations, you know, is thinking hard about having a range of different people and subjects and personality types and so on. But, you know, they're not going to bite you if they don't think you're going to enjoy the experience because it's a very particular experience. There's a, there's a lot of walking. There's a lot of, you know, academic reading that's supposed to happen. I say, I say supposed to happen. Um, there's certainly, if you wish it, some uh, some heavy French red wine drinking. And so, you know, it, it's it's a really fun experience, but you are in a remote chalet that is completely inaccessible during winter. You can only get it to summer. And if if you want to go and charge a device or, you know, buy a bar of chocolate, you're going to have to climb up to the hotel. And that's not, you know, an insignificant Venture so that you are feeling that you are kind of almost on your own in the Alps. Yeah, that's what I mean. Aside from and and you can give us the blurb about the book. Aside from the the plot of the book, just that like feeling and and I agree. I mean that I could totally picture everything. That feeling of this rustic remote place. I think all in itself is like creepy. Like just feeling like you're not. Mm -hmm in touch with, you know, like that you're so far removed and that alone can be like kind of scary because, you know, these days we rely on so much. So then you throw in this, you know, cast of characters and this plot that you've put together. And then, then it's just like the atmosphere just makes it that much more thrilling and creepy. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's an interesting thing for authors these days because Technology is so prevalent. So how do you how do you manufacture a story that it couldn't just be solved by someone picking up the phone and calling someone and you know clearing up the misunderstanding or asking for help? You know you've got to got to work quite hard to find your way around that. Um, this I mean the Chalet des Anglais is just kind of heaven sent because it already provides you with all those answers. You know it is it is remote. Um, I think the the cell reception is probably somewhat better than I allowed for in the novel. <laughs> okay. So give us the, the set, the summary of what bright and deadly things is about. So bright and deadly things follows um, Dr. Emily rivers, who unfortunately, as we, as we begin the novel, she's recently lost her husband. 
She's a fellow at um, Oxford University in theoretical physics, and she has a lot of friends within the university. And um, she's invited to go to the Chalet des Anglais, and she thinks that that would be a great thing to do to try and kind of pull herself out of the fog of grief. She's really been quite affected by, you know, the death of her husband, as you as you would be. Um, and uh, she, even before she leaves for the chalet, there's a, a break in at her home, which is quite disturbing. And then when she gets to the chalet, there's it's obvious there's quite a lot of tensions between the the members of the party. And um, she witnesses something that really disturbs her between two of the members of the party. And then it seems like you know really odd things are happening. And the chalet itself has quite a dark history. And then somebody goes missing. And I think given that we're definitely not going to wander into spoiler territory, yeah. I will probably stop there. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, I don't want to give spoilers too. And it's hard always talking about a thriller that I've already read to not spoil it. So I really try to like, but that's the perfect summary of it. And obviously you said you, you've you been to the chalet and I'm guessing that was probably your, you know, your inspiration. But what is it about, like a locked room thriller of, you know, like you said, getting together groups of people, they're, they're facing, you know, these, whatever it may be, in this case, a missing person and, and other things. But what is it about that that you love? And and what do you love, aside from what do you love about those mysteries, writing them? Like, what is sort of your process for that? Because like we said, I'm sure you tap into your physics mind and it's all sorts of pieces that you have to put together. Um, But I always think as a reader, I always say, I'm always, when you have a lot of different characters and you're trying to figure it out, it's like little mental files that you're like, you're like, okay, this person did this. And so when reading it, you want to try to figure it out, but writing it, what, what is that like? Well, for me, I'm always really focused on the characters. You know, I'm a character-driven writer. I mean, as we've already said, setting's enormously important and it's the first thing that I'll have in my mind. And once I have the setting nailed down, then the characters start to come to me. And I have a bit of a fascination with group dynamics um, Mm -hmm. and it's featured in, you know, maybe three out of my four novels, I would say. Um, And... That is something that, you know, I work really hard on making sure that the, the the group dynamics are authentic and that you understand what each person is bringing to that group and what they're getting out of that group. And, in, you know, if if one of them were to be taken away, that, that, you know, that changes the balance and so forth. So that I find really interesting. And it's something which is best done if you can isolate the group you know and they have they have no way to escape and they have to deal with each other and they have to deal with the situation and that's where the the kind of close I don't really say locked room I would probably say closed environment thriller yeah um because to me the locked room mysteries are the ones where you have to figure out how somebody got in got out did the murder in that time and didn't get caught you know and left no clues this is more a closed environment and um I love reading that kind of thing because as a reader, you know that whoever the antagonist is, is going to be drawn from that cast of characters. Um, So I really enjoy that. And as a writer, it's just a really, as I mentioned before, it's a really effective way of building in the tension and ratcheting it up and building the claustrophobia because 
you become increasingly aware that you know someone in in this set of people is responsible for what's going on so you know your your mind as a reader then is racing through who they are and as a as a writer the important thing is i think to just make sure that all those character arcs are really authentic and that you're not trying to do a kind of gotcha on the readers because i wouldn't i wouldn't do that it it needs to be um when you get to the end, you need to be satisfied and say, yes, actually, it makes sense that that person chose to do those things. I think they were bad choices. I wouldn't do them myself, but I understand how they got to that place. That's what you want your reader to be thinking. Yes, yes, that you're hitting the nail on the head with this for sure. Because there, yeah, there was no gotcha. It was, but it was twisty and things sort of like spiraled. But when you use a little bit and then it came back together, but when you just use the word claustrophobia, that's like the perfect, that's what, that's the perfect word that I was trying to say about the chalet. Like it just, this feeling of like intense pressure of things mounting and built, you know, and there's just nowhere they couldn't really go anywhere. So um, who was your favorite character to write? Um, I mean, sometimes my favorite character to write are, are more peripheral ones because you can, you know, just have a little more fun with it. I mean, clearly, I I love um, my my main protagonist, Dr. Emily Rivers, and I, I to be honest, I pretty much love all my characters because of what I explained. You know, they I understand why they are who they are, and you know, I I may not behave the same way, but I understand where it comes from. But I did really like Olive this time. She was kind of fun to write um, and she's quite peripheral, um, you know, but I, I don't want to say too much because I, I just think that maybe I'll, I'll, you know, uh, I'll give away a spoiler. <laughs> yeah. Um. Have you bet, like, I know you said it's invitation only to the chalet, but have you ever been back since you had been there? Yeah, a couple of times just in the summer when I've been in Chamonix anyway, I've gone for a walk and, you know, it, it is quite hard to find, but I have found it really? on both occasions. So I do have some uh, photos of me there with my boys. I think the, the most recent trip was um, 2019, um, just before the pandemic. Um, and it's, you know, you go in and go, oh, wow. And they do have chalet diaries, you know. So um, I was able oh. to kind of look through the chalet diaries and find the trip that I was on and <gasps> see my name. And yeah, um, all the all the funny mentions. My boys thought it was hilarious. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's incredible. And wow, that's really neat. Um, I just lost my train of thought of what I was going to ask you next. What are some of your, just if you can think, you know, mysteries or thrillers, either, you know, closed environment, locked room, what are some of your favorites? I mean, I guess if I went back to, you know, those teenage years, I, I read so many Agatha Christie's that I gotta be honest, they started to kind of, or or by this point anyway, there some of them are a bit mishmashed in my mind and I can't yeah. really say which was which. But I did always love Murder on the Orient Express. I mean, that one's a real classic. Um, so that one sticks in my mind. Uh and then I read a series of novels called Death in by MMK. And it was like Death in Berlin, Death in Cyprus, Death in whatever. And they had a, a mix of kind of romance in there with the mystery. And I really, really enjoyed those at the time. Um, but, you know, nowadays, I think sometimes when I look at, you know, who are the best um, people who've been writing crime over the years, I, I mean... 
I, I was writing an article the other day and it's there's just so many and you're kind of like well you know Patricia Highsmith the talented Mr Ripley and then you can say well Margaret Atwood wrote Alias Grace which is absolutely about a crime you know not your typical crime writer but it's about a crime and then I loved um Gillian Flynn's uh Gone Girl you know and so there's such such a number of them. I know there are so, and I agree. Like even now, I read a lot of Agatha Christie, but even now, I you know thrillers are aside from you know fiction, but thrillers are my main go-to. And sometimes I'll be describing a book, and then you know if somebody else read it, they're like, "Wait, what?" Because I met. It's like two things have happened. I've like merged two books together, and then they're like, "Wait," I'm like, "Oh wait, so that was something else." It's hard. <laughs> but I I heard um I, I was speaking to one author one one time and he actually had an argument with a reader about the ending of his book. And it turned out the reader was right and he was <laughs> thinking about a previous draft and then he changed the ending. <laughs> I know. I can't imagine that's what I'm saying. Like there's a special you have a special talent because you know, thriller writing is obviously plots, characters, place, but you're also like we've said a million times putting together a puzzle and it's so many pieces and you can't miss, you can't fit a perfect piece into a wrong spot. Like there's so much that goes to make it fit perfectly. And so I just think it's so incredible and, and how your mind's working to, to get to that point, the aha point, and then, you know, the conclusion. So, you know, if you're, a reader that loves them, of course, it's going to mash all together. And I just have one big murder mystery always going on in my head. And, you know. Yeah. So long as you're not the victim, you'll be right. fine. Right. Right. And, I, you know, going back to, to what you said, and I've, I've, you know, spoken with so many authors who write thrillers and mysteries um, and suspense. It's, it is, you don't see so many books these days that, don't have a piece of technology to it because there is this whole thing of like armchair detectives these days and TikTok sleuths and, you know, social media, like helping solve crimes. And so to go back to just like an old classic, it's, you know, the way we've evolved with this is incredible. Yeah. I mean, it is incredible, the techniques that they have. And I, I've always felt somewhat wary of writing a police procedural for precisely that reason. You know, I've never been in the police force. I don't know those techniques and those techniques that seem to be changing really, really rapidly. So I would worry that I would get that wrong. So, so far I've kind of swerved that and been more interested in writing stories about, you know, ordinary people who end up in some extraordinary circumstance. Yeah, no, I love it. It's like a throwback to the classics because you wonder, you know, if Agatha Christie was alive today, how she would be as an author, you know, because the hers are like the real classic, like there's a detective with all the little pieces. And so um, it's just so interesting to see all these things and, and how far we've come. Um, what, are you working on something now? Um, I'm working kind of on an idea for for the the next novel. I'm not 100% sure that it's what I'm going to go with, so I'm not going to say too much about that. But uh, And then I've been writing something else in a different genre just as a sort of 
I keep saying the word palate cleanser, which makes it sound like it's just, uh, you know, just a kind of an aside, a quick sorbet. Um, yeah. but, but actually, you know, I'm really enjoying that too. I, I mean, I wouldn't mind writing in more than one genre, but I will definitely be writing in psychological thrillers again. I, it is, it is a genre that I do really enjoy. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I, I was going to say palate cleanser. That's, that's so funny. Um, okay. So now it is time for Lexi's chic list and I'm going to bring up the questions. I'm so curious to see what your answers will be. These are new ones, so I don't have them completely memorized. Okay, perfect. All right, Lexi, the author that inspired inspires you the most and why? I think I would probably say Margaret Atwood. Um, She was so instrumental in my teenage years. I just, I feel like she really showed me what was possible in the short story form. And that in a way was what kept me going through those years before I tried a a novel was the short story form. Um, And yeah, I mean, she's just really extremely masterful and she ties everything up so well and and she can pierce you with a single sentence. So I would say Margaret Atwood, although my favorite novel is not a Margaret Atwood novel, um, but Margaret Atwood's probably had the most impact on me. What was your favorite novel? Did you mention it? Grass? Yeah, Sherry S. Tepper, Grass. I think, you know, when it came out, which I think was like 1989-ish, probably got that wrong. Um, it was up for various prizes. Can't quite remember whether it won it. Um, it's in the sort of sci-fi fantasy genre and the the combination of the world building and the really in-depth character study is amazing. And of course, the concept is is amazing and interesting and, and fresh. But you don't you don't keep going, or at least I don't keep going with anything in the sci-fi fantasy genre, unless I'm really, really drawn to the characters and the characters are so strong in that novel. And it's just, it's just the kind of thing that picks you up and takes you away and you can't put it down. Oh, I'm going to have to look it up. I've never heard of it. Um, Your current TV binge series. Okay. So we've just finished godless which i loved and i feel like i was really late to this i I wonder if maybe it turned up on netflix over here a little late because it seems like it was filmed in like 2017 or something but i thought it was astonishing and best thing of all it was like six seven episodes so you don't have to give over your entire life you know Um, and then now I'm one of those people who's entirely enthralled by The Last of Us. I think they're doing such an amazing job with that. Yes, my husband's watching that. I did. I haven't. He started it without me. So I but everyone I've talked to says it's great. So it is, it's great on every level. The cinematography, the, um, you know, the screenwriting It's just it's it's really excellent. OK, good to know. Um, last favorite book and current read. Uh, current read. Oh, what am I reading at the moment? Um, I am reading a book called Clara and Olivia, um, by Lucy Ash, who happens to be, um, one of my children's, uh, English teachers. Um, and it is excellent. Uh, it's her debut novel, Lucy Ash, Clara and Olivia. And it's do- doing well, as I understand it, had a write-up in the Times the other day. So absolutely go out and get it. But it's, um, it's about, uh, ballerinas in I'm going to say the 1930s and probably get that wrong and there's a there is a kind of mystery thriller element to it and uh she herself was a ballerina for a good chunk of her life so she is you know absolutely 
ha 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 on point with yes. absolutely every aspect of the the ballet world. Ooh, that sounds good. So that's what I'm reading right now. Um, the last thing that I read and completely loved was probably Lee Bardugo's Hellbent, um, which is um, the second one in that kind of series that she's doing, kind of adult um, series. And oh my goodness, I mean, I loved Ninth House and Hellbent is equally as good. I had it on pre-order and I think I read it in like a day and a half after it arrived. Okay, I have Ninth House in my pile somewhere, so I'm excited to- You've got to get it out. Okay. Yeah, put it top okay. of your pile. Okay, top of the pile. Um, sand or snow? It's difficult, but I'm going with sand because we like to surf and we also like to ski. But um, the thing about, you know, I don't think I could go forever without the sunshine. So I think I have to go with sand if you're if you're making me make a binary choice if I'm making you make a choice I know it is a tough choice and every time I ask I ask myself and I'm like I'm I say sand because I love the beach um but like once in a while I don't mind like a little snow I'm not really a skier but it is a tough question but sand for me um coffee or tea order so I drink tea pretty much all day long. I like chain drink it. There's always one on the go. Um, and that's just plain standard English breakfast tea with milk. Um, but if I'm out and getting a coffee, it would be a black Americano. Yeah. Um, favorite bookstagram account. So I um like there's um there's a few accounts who do this, you know, like beautiful uh, libraries. I think there's one called something like Pretty Book Places and it mm -hmm. always has really, really oh. beautiful libraries and stuff. And and I love that. There's just something really calming about looking at these these beautiful setups. Um, and then, you know, the, there's, there's loads of different um, bookstagrammers who have been very kind to me. I mean, Scared Straight um, is somebody who uh, supported me very much right from the beginning of my career. So, yeah, shout out. <laughs> yes, I love that. Um, name an author you'd love to have coffee or a cocktail with. I am going for Maggie Shipstead, who wrote The Great Circle, um, because I was fortunate enough to meet her at the Women's Prize for Fiction last year, I guess it must have been. And she is lovely, a load of fun. And her then partner, now, now husband, Tim Long, is a darling as well. And we just had a blast chatting together. So yeah, I'd love to catch up with them for a cocktail. I love that. Um, who is your style icon? Difficult. Um, I think I'm. I, I'm going to have two. Okay. Um, because <laughs> I think you need a kind of a real dressing up red carpet icon, and for which I would say Kate Blanchett because Great she's choice. she does grown up dressing, and and I I don't mean that we all have to dress our age because we don't, but I mean she does sophisticated dressing, mm -hmm. and I could see myself mostly. I mean sometimes she goes in a different direction but mostly I look at what she's wearing and go yeah I could I could do that that would and I'm I'm fairly tall and you have to think about how you dress yourself when you're you know 
uh, a little bit taller. And when I put heels on, I'm over six foot, right? So it's <laughs> it's something I have to think about. Um, and then in a kind of day-to-day basis, I've got to say, um, the Princess Catherine nails it. Like the number of times I see her in pictures and the news, I'm like, oh, what's she wearing? Where did she get that? You know, she really, to me, seems to nail it for for what seems like affordable and wearable clothing. Yes. Those are two great choices. And just Kate Blanchett's top to mind because she her dress from the other night at the Screen Actors Guild Awards, which was like repurposed from some other gown that she wore. And I was just staring at her and I'm like, for some reason, it feels like we're all just fast forwarding on like aging and time. And she's just stuck in this yeah. time warp that she's not aging like it's just incredible. She's so stunning. So it's she, I mean, whoever is helping her with her yes. skin and her makeup. Oh my All God. They're it. doing an amazing her styling, job. It's just like, she's yeah. yeah, I fully agree. And I agree with Kate too. I love when they always share, I follow a couple accounts and they'll share, you know, of course she has high end things, but sometimes she has lower end things. And I'm like, you know, she's making it achievable <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, book you wished they made a movie out of. Yeah, I was looking at this question and thinking, wow, I'm, I'm a, I mean, clearly, I'm, I would wish they would make movies out of all my books. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I mean they, they do, they do get optioned, and and I think are all optioned, but you know, you just don't hold your breath, you you take the check, quite frankly, yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, that would be absolutely fantastic if that happened. Um, Otherwise, I guess I would like to see, I know they, they did Lee Bardugo's kind of Shadow and Bone. Um, uh, was that a trilogy? I think it was a trilogy. They they did that in a Netflix series. I would quite like to see them do a Netflix series of the, um, of the Ninth House series. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Well, that makes me now definitely bump it up to the top. And I could definitely picture Bright and Deadly Things as a movie in my mind because like we said I think when place is such an important part you you know that's what we watch in movies we it's the setting it's the atmosphere so I agree okay and last question best advice for an aspiring writer or reader um for an aspiring writer um I would say, and I, it's the same advice I give a lot, so I'm at least I'm consistent. Um, <laughs> you have to find a way to ring fence the time because if you want your stuff to actually be published, you know, if you want to be professional about it, then you have to be professional right at the early stage and make sure that, you know, that is your writing time and you don't go for a coffee with a friend. You treat it in the same way as you would you would view work time, you know, you wouldn't just leave your desk and go do something else. You you have, if you're being paid to work, you would sit and work. So sit and write in your writing time, um, regardless of whether or not you feel like it. Sometimes you just have to sit down and get on with it because it really doesn't get done any other way. Um, so yeah, be professional about it and try and treat it in that way. And um, I, I guess I'm, what I'm saying is if you don't, life happens you know that's why it took me so long to write my first novels you know life gets in the way if you're if you're not completely disciplined about that yeah no and that's inspiring especially when writers talk about how they wrote you know their first novel and had small children I'm like it's you know 
they're a lot. (laughs) (laughs) They are. Even when they're big children, they're still a lot. (laughs) I know. I'm like, I don't even know. I'm like, you know, you wish away the little years and then like now they're like actual little people and you're like, oh gosh, this is a whole other like layer of, you know. Yeah. The the learning curve never ends. Yeah. No, never, (laughs) never, never. Um, Okay. Where can everyone follow you on social media? What's your, you know, most used platform that you're on? Um, so I'm on Instagram, Lexi Elliott writes. I'm on uh, Facebook under the same. Um, I tweet a little. I think it's Elliot underscore Lexi, but I'm not. I'm not a big tweeter. So really, Instagram and Facebook for Lexi Elliott writes, and then there's my um, website, which is lexielliot.com. Okay, perfect. So everyone should go and follow you and Bright and Deadly Things is out now as well as your previous books. Um, thank you so much for for chatting with me and, and sharing, you know, all the things with us. I so appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thank you everyone for tuning in.